Attention all you sex fiends, sinners, degenerates, and deviants. If you're looking for a hot new sex toy, now is your chance. Sex toys don't care about what's in between your legs, and that's the sign of a true ally. Go to either B-Vibe or Lawand and use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout for 20% off your entire purchase. That's S-E-X-E-D-W-I-T-H-T-I-M for 20% off anything you buy from their websites. Check the show notes for more details. Once again, that's Sex Ed with Tim for 20% off both B-Vibe and Lawan products. Your next orgasm is on me. Mwah! The Sex Ed with Tim podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. We acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaty, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. You're listening to Sex Ed with Tim. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. I am your host, Tim. I'm a certified sex educator. I identify as a chaotic homosexual. And did you know, one time I had a passionate affair with my camp counselor. Some would say it was intense. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Ugh, trash, trash, trash. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking all about passion today. And if you did not hear that very gorgeous, beautiful laugh at the other end of the mic, that is none other than the one, the only, Dr. Jessica O'Reilly. Hey, hey, welcome me with, welcoming me with the jet dad jokes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like where a lot of my guests are like, all right, time to peace out. This is the kind of show that you're running. Okay, bye. You're gonna. You need to save the jokes for the end, right? So they don't go running. Uh, uh, honestly, Doctor Jess, like for me, I like put jokes wherever I can, even in the bedroom. Like I was literally with a guy last night, and he farted, and I was like, "Did you just have chicken? <laughs> Yum." <laughs> I love it. I you got to keep laughing, right? Especially I think over the last eighteen months. Oh my god, yes. Ugh. I'm just like I feel like I'm losing sight of like what's making me passionate about anything right now because I, I just want to live. I want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to get fucked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All but, of those things we've been held back from. Yeah, right. I just like I need a army of five men to just come into my room and come on my face and come on my chest but um (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness so dr jess thank you so much for coming on my humble little show i'm so happy that you're here so happy that we're connecting uh for those of us who don't know who you are who live under a literal rock who is dr jess Uh, I am a sexologist, sexologist and relationship expert, and I mostly speak about sex with groups. So I'm not doing clinical one-on-one work. It's all uh, traveling around and doing what we call brief interventions, so sort of like workshops and retreats. And right now I'm in Boston because it's Harvard Sex Week. 
So we've Fun. got a little, yeah, we've got a panel tonight at Harvard Sex Week, week with a really cool brand called Private Packs. So Private Packs is, uh, they are, they basically entail hot and cold packs for the vulva. So the founder, Suzanne, oh. she's actually from the Toronto area as well originally, but she's in yeah. Boston. She, I think the generation of the idea came post cancer treatment where she was in a lot of pain and yeah so she created these really cool hot and cool packs for post cycling post spin class post vigorous sex postpartum post you know for people with endometriosis just for people with pms and pain during and around menstruation so uh, she's hosting this panel and i'll be there with my lube brand astroglide talking about pelvic and sexual health Oh my God, can you send some my way for my anal fissures right now? Because I am. <laughs> you know, I'm going to ask her if there are ones designed specifically for the anus. And it's a little bit harder because you've got the butt cheeks. So we'd have to think, she'd really have to think about the design of those. But I'm 100% yeah. going to bring that up tonight. <laughs> because I just got into a very unfortunate accident with a massage therapist who used massage oil rather than lube. And I was like, yeah, I see oh, you biting dear. your lip. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I know. I know. I get into such misfortunate, unfortunate misadventures. It's it's <laughs> it's the life of me. Um, <laughs> the life but, of Tim. Exactly right. The life and times of my unfortunate gay butt. But speaking of butt, um, we're not here to talk about my sex life right now. We're here to talk about the audience's sex life and what they're going to be passionate about because I feel like. In the time of a pandemic, we're all like cooped up and we're all like trying to find some sort of spark back into our life. So first, I want to ask you, you can answer this like in the most scientific way or the most woo-woo way that you can. What does it mean to be passionate? Like, what is passion? That's a great question. I think it's a little bit subjective, but certainly passion is is associated with excitement. Uh, it's associated with taking risks. It's associated with feeling motivated in a really, you know, I want to say passionate way, but that you can't, as an English teacher, you can't really use the, <laughs> the root word in the definition, but in a way that feels intense and motivating, and it's usually associated with pleasure. And so in relationships, when we talk about passion, oftentimes we talk about attraction and chemistry, but also just feeling excited to get close to the person, to get to know them, whether it be emotionally or physically or sexually or spiritually. And of course, we all kind of know that feeling of passion when you first meet someone or when you, when you first come into contact with anything that excites you, right? Passion for a job, passion for a movement, passion for a cause, and of course, passion for people or even just one person. And, you know, your, your body becomes awash in all these feel good chemicals and hormones. So when we think about passion in relationships, we're often talking about these fluctuations, oftentimes drops in serotonin, these boosts in endorphins, these boosts in adrenaline, norepinephrine, and an increase in dopamine. And dopamine, of course, is that neurochemical associated with motivation, reward, and pleasure. So the body gets excited and it shows up in the body differently for everybody. But, you know, common signs of passionate love involve, you know, sweaty palms, your heart is racing, you're excited, you have more energy than usual, you don't feel you need to sleep, you feel very distracted uh, and in tune with the thoughts surrounding this person, and ultimately, you just can't get enough of them. 
Oh my God. I feel like you just described my daily anxiety attack. <laughs> sweaty oh, no. palms, sweaty palms, my heart's racing. Like when I meet a guy that I really like, I don't know if I'm feeling passionate or if I'm feeling nervous. That's a really great point because nerves and anxiety are in fact a part of passion and they're a part of attraction. They're a part of why when you meet someone, it's so exciting. And so uh, many of us find that there's this fine line or this difficulty differentiating between, am I feeling really good right now? Like, is this excitement a positive thing or is this excitement too much and overwhelming. And for many of us, that leads to, you know, avoidance behaviors, like not wanting to go on first dates, not wanting to pursue something new. Oh, my God. Hello. You're talking to avoidant attachment over here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting because uh, I've been running into the same thing over the last year where I've, my anxiety levels have been higher. I would say I'm, I'm a fairly low anxiety person. And I can't tell if the anxiety is good anxiety or bad anxiety. And it's not like, you know, we can immediately differentiate it. Again, that's subjective and I get to decide, like, does this feel good for me? Is it the right amount or is it too much? But uh, certainly I think many of us fall into that camp where we want a certain amount of anxiety, but if it goes over the line, it's just too much. And so, you know, when you go on first dates, you're meeting up with someone or you're hooking up, people will ask, like, how do I cut the awkwardness? How do I make this less anxiety provoking. And it, the first thing I'll say, uh, you know, first I want to know how does anxiety show up in your body, right? Can you check in, check in with your head? Are you, are you tensing your jaw? Are you clenching your butt? Is your heart racing? <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you not breathing properly? And, well, and that's something we can do to check in with ourselves to reduce anxiety, right? We can say, okay, if I stop clenching my jaw, if I take four slow deep breaths, if I unclench my butt, if I do a quick body scan, Oftentimes, addressing the physiological sensations of anxiety can help to attenuate or assuage the emotional components of anxiety. Uh, but for some of us, the, we, we need more anxiety and risk than others. And so this is where we run into issues in relationships because our tolerance for risk is so different. And I, you know, I often talk about the formula for passion in long-term relationships because that's where you know passion becomes a problem is people say, oh, I never longer feel the same way. I'm not as excited anymore. We, it's boring. It's predictable. I don't feel the passion. And the reality is once you get to really know the person, that initial high of passionate love, which we also refer to as limerence, as I said, marked by those no dopamine, adrenaline, norepinephrine spikes, inevitably that wears off. And you want it to wear off because as good as it feels, you can't exist in that state for very prolonged periods of time. And so when they do research around brain activations and passionate love, there's some research that suggests that when you're newly in love, the brain activations are the same as somebody who is heavily using cocaine every single day. So it feels really good, but you can only last in that high for so long. So this inevitable shift between limerence or passionate love and attachment or companionate love is going to happen. And over the pandemic, for many rela new relationships, it happened more quickly because we spent more time together. We were bubbled together. We lived together. Like, you know, I talked to somebody the other day. They moved in after four weeks uh, and <gasps> they were married a year later. Yeah. And so, what? right. And pa here's the thing about passion passion is associated with novelty, the unknown, and risk. Right. Mm. And in long term relationships, obviously the novelty wears off. The unknown becomes known. And we do things 
to reduce risks. And I think that's where we make the biggest mistake in relationships is, yes, of course, we don't want to live in a, in a state of fear or a state of risk or with, you know, high cortisol levels all the time. But we need to leave some space for risk, for fears, for discovery, for the unknown, you know, and you can do this with simple things like spending time apart or trying things that feel scary or, you know, in bed talking about fantasies, pushing your boundaries. If there's a fantasy that turns you off, why don't you explore perhaps why you're off put by it? If there's something that makes you uncomfortable, digging deeper into that means that you can take risk hopefully in a safe, secure relationship and you can have a balance of both stability, companionate love and attachment, uh, as well as opportunity for risk. This sounds so dangerous. I'm going <laughs> to be honest, because it sounds like the mixture of like back in my days of using cocaine and like going to the casino. It's so much risk. And I, I get that high. And that it's a crash that sucks so much. You know, like when your cortisol and your, your adrenaline, your norepinephrine, everything just comes down and it's just like, uh, now I want more. And it, it's like, how do I manage that crash, that post-passionate hangover, I guess is the word? <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, in relationships, let's say that happens at the three-month mark or the six-month mark or whatever it may be, uh, that's when we start to lose interest. That's when we start to oftentimes look elsewhere. So, I mean, one way is to remain open to other relationships. Like there is no no reason why we all have to be monogamous, right? And so in non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous circles, we talk about like, for example, new relationship energy. Um, so that's definitely an option is to be con consensually non-monogamous. Now, does that solve all your passion issues? Of course not. I'm not suggesting that people in consensually non-monogamous relationships are always seeking someone new, but uh, it is an option and I always want to kind of lead people down the path that that reminds them that you have all these different options. Not that one is better than another, but the these options exist and they're all legitimate and they can all work out and they can all be healthy and they can all be fulfilling. Uh, for folks in monogamous relationships, trying to manage that crash, uh, I, I think we have to, number one, accept it. Accept that it may not feel the same as it did on your first, second, third, fourth, tenth date, but you can always get glimmers of that back. You can always do things that reinvigorate those passion chemicals. Uh, so to, again, get those, those chemicals spiking, you're probably going to want to do things that are new, that are a little bit scary, but not too scary, right? They're, and this is where individual risk profiles come in. So for example, I'm a, I'm a risk taker. I need a lot of risk. I get very bored very easily. My attention is very low. Uh, my partner requires, my, my partner Brandon requires more stability. That doesn't mean he doesn't like to take risks, but our risk profiles are a little bit different. So what that means is that we have to look for other sources of fulfilling our needs. And so I think this is where People make the number one mistake is they think that passion should happen for should occur forever naturally without effort, and then the second is they want to derive all of their emotional fulfillment and perhaps sexual from one relationship, and so you can be monogamous but take small risks together, and then if one of you has a higher risk tolerance, take other types of risks. They don't have to be sexual in nature, right? So, for example. I can just talk about myself. Um, for me, my work is 
adrenaline pumping because I'm constantly running from place to place, hopping from plane to plane, um, getting up on stages where, you know, every time you get up on stage, you can bomb. And that's sort of exciting in a frightening way. Now, I know for you, I see you making your face that that might not feel good all the time. I'm scared. My <laughs> stage fright, my ass is clenched right now. Well, I'm tight. It's um, tight. <laughs> It's interesting because you're a natural speaker, right? Like you, oh, you host this podcast. It comes, it seems as though, and this may not be the case, but from the outside, it seems like these conversations and, you know, being a performer and a host come naturally to you. Um, but if you don't like that type of risk, like the getting up on stage, what's cool is you, you don't have to do it, right? And it's the same thing in relationships. My partner wouldn't want to be following me around everywhere all the time because, the risk of, of like traveling in the airports and the missing of flights would be very stressful for him. Whereas for me, I actually feel more at ease with that. Uh, you know, it has to do with the fact that we're not all neurotypical. Our brains don't all work in the same way. Uh, and so, so to kind of get back to where I, I, sorry, I kind of digress, but because I need more risk uh, and I need more kind of excitement and change and novelty and, short engagements that are exciting for me. So whether that's like a speech or an event or talking to people, I get those at work, right? I don't say, hey, I'm bored in life, excite me. Sometimes when we say we're bored and we don't, we're not feeling passionate, we love to look at the relationship as the deficit point, when in fact there are other areas of our lives from which we can derive that passion and excitement. So why are we blaming the relationship? So if I need more excitement in life, maybe I get it from work. Maybe I get it from my friendships. Maybe I get it from sports or, you know, other things that I do. I, it can't all be me turning to Brandon and saying, excite me. Like, this is boring. Make my life more exciting. So that's really, to me, the second pitfall that I see. And that is people expecting a partner to fulfill, fulfill all of their emotional, practical, physical, sexual, spiritual, whatever it may be, needs. When in fact, we've got this whole rich life, we've got the opportunity to expand our social circles again, uh, and do more of what we love. So don't put all your eggs in that basket of the relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, my, the relationship I have with Brandon is really the biggest part of my life and the most fulfilling and meaningful part of my life. But that doesn't mean that I get all my fulfillment there. I'm so jealous of how y'all are so fucking cute on social media, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, can you please ask Brandon to like find me a house with a fuck dungeon? Because <laughs> <laughs> he is just like, Brandon is just the best. He really is so easygoing. Like I posted that reel, I posted a reel last week uh, and I needed him to act out a part in it. And I just asked him <laughs> to block the time. I sent him a calendar invite. He gets there. He's like, all right, what do you need me to do? Like kind of no questions asked, just so easygoing, so supportive. I'm, I'm so lucky that way. But, but so you know, when, when we think about passion, um, one of the challenges we run into is that when one partner gets more passion and excitement and risk from another area of life, oftentimes they expect the partner who perhaps doesn't, you know, run around and maybe have to travel for work and whatnot, they expect that partner at home to offer all the stability. But then we get into this dynamic where that partner who has more stability in their life wants more passion in the relationship. Mm. And so we really have to have conversations around, you know, what does passion feel like to you? What does it mean to you? Because you asked me my definition, like, what's your definition? Oh, wow. That's interesting. I've never actually thought about what passion feels to me because to me, passion means I got a hard on for this guy. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
I guess for me, passion is like when my my brain is like lighting up in all these different areas when I can't really stop thinking about this one thing or this one person. But also the next thought that's coming up for me is, is that passionate or is that just infatuation? Because I don't want to be obsessed with something like my, my passion lies in, you know, my work as a sex educator. My passion lies in being a volunteer outreach for the LGBT community. So that's not something that I'm obsessed about, but it's, I'm passionate about it. But also I get that same kind of high when I'm fixated on a, a person that's like the object of my affections. So for example, right now, I'm kind of like talking to this guy and I feel like the passion level is mismatched and I kind of don't know how to handle it. I, I don't know how to, how to be like, Hey, I feel like I'm investing more in this relationship or in this connection than you are. It, and that feels so uh, scary to bring up, you know, it, it feels like, uh, are we in this together or not? Like mm, feelings. I hate it. Uh. <laughs> It is it is scary. Relationships can can feel scary. Right, it's terrifying. So how do how do, would one person be able to handle mismatched passion levels in any sort of connection or relationship? I would say the first thing is actually talking about it because when we talk about mismatched passion, are you talking about like interest or commitment? Yeah, just like how I'm feeling like strongly more than my person my date my whatever <laughs> you know what i mean i feel more invested in this than he's investing yeah i mean i think it's okay to say that i also think that it's important to talk about why do you think they're less invested because what you show what you do to show your investment might be different than what they do to show theirs so they may feel just as invested, but behaviorally, they're not enacting behaviors that make you feel as though they're invested. So I think you can ask about, you know, where are we in this relationship? Like, what, how are you feeling? Uh, what is your level of interest and commitment? I mean, you don't have to make it so dry. But also, if they say, let's, let's say they land on the same page, and you're both quite invested in making this work, then you have to have a conversation about what it feels like for you to know that they're invested. Like, what can they do to make you know they're invested? So that's one side, right? What What is it you're asking of them? And then also, can you also be a little introspective and ask yourself, well, what am I expecting and why am I expecting it, right? Like, so how do I want to feel? What is it I think that I want them to do to help me feel that way? And just as importantly, what can I do to help myself feel that way. Because when we talk about, for example, attachment and, you know, the attachment styles can be helpful. I think they're a nice starting point. Uh, oftentimes they lack nuance and we don't consider all the systemic issues that affect attachment, right? Like attachment styles are often explained as rooted in childhood when in fact it, you know, even if we have a specific type of childhood, if we interact with the world in a way that affects us based on our race, our appearance, our gender identity, our sexual orientation, uh, perceived income, all of these things 
can also affect the way we feel attached or not attached to other people. Like it's not as simple as my mom did this and this is where why I am. But if we think about, uh, you know, attachment styles, if you are feeling like anxiously attached or attached in a disorganized way, sometimes that's in that can can be affected by the way somebody's treating you. But sometimes it's also from our own internalized and personalized experience. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Yes. What's up, all you sick fucking perverts? Don't you just love love? The Love Shop has everything you need to feel the love in the air or in between your legs, wherever you want, really. They've got everything from vibrators, lubes, lingerie, and even full-sized sex dolls. Wow, I guess love really does come in all shapes and sizes. Visit loveshop.ca slash sexedwithtim and use code sexedwithtim at checkout for 15% off the whole store. And the best part is that they ship all over Canada, US, and what? Ireland? To all my whores in Dublin, top of the morning to ya. <laughs> That's loveshop.ca slash sexedwithtim and check out code sexedwithtim for 15% off the entire store. Now get to fucking do you like feeling sexy and looking sexy of course you do only my listeners are sexy as fuck i have partnered with fetishwear designer dale kuda to bring you the hottest deals on custom jock straps harnesses hats and more head over to dalekuda.com that's d-a-l-e-k-u-d-a.com and use code sexed with tim at checkout for 25% off the entire store. Yeah, you heard me. 25% off. And cherry on top, free shipping. Oh my god. <laughs> I have a few of the stuff that he has made for me. And girl, I'm wearing it right now. I'm wearing like a little jock strap so that I could easily just like slip a little butt plug or dildo every now and then here and there and I'm on the train I'm just like uh, 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 thank you Dale <laughs> that's dalecuda.com with the code sexedwithtim for 25% off your entire purchase with free shipping with a deal like that I swear I could come buckets honey <laughs> the show is about to begin yes Ugh, can I just blame my entire dating life because of some high school bully? That'd be so much easier. <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't know. I think um I don't think we can dismiss that. Oh god. Right? Oh my god. I don't no. think we can entirely dismiss if you were subject to trauma. And especially if that trauma is related to a, a core part of your identity. That's true. Yeah, it was a lot of homophobic bullying. And now it's like, I kind of have to make up for uh, being, you know, the the quiet gay kid. Now I got to like put myself out there. That's why I'm, you know, the center of a bukkake. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I understand. It's like, I don't want to boil down my entire dating experience because of something that happened when I was a kid. Because, you know, I'm working that out in therapy. But it's just... I have this this deep inner discomfort when it comes to anything emotional or passionate towards another person. And mm. I don't know where that comes from. I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. 
to be quite honest. Are you afraid to let them know that you feel passionate about them? Yes. Uh, there are times when I feel like a little nervous, but okay, here's the thing with this specific connection. So uh, he's a sex worker. He's an escort. And I was his client for at least three years. And over the time that we've gotten to know each other, three years that he's been, uh, that we've been escort to client. And then it, it was just in this year that we started to become friends. We started to become a little more intimate. And when I say intimate, like emotionally vulnerable it was like it was a change like we were in bed together after a session and all of a sudden he started opening up to me about like childhood trauma about family and all that stuff and i was like where is this coming from so that's kind of where i'm like you know feeling a little more what is this <laughs> are we are we a thing now or like this ever-changing relationship dynamic so it is terrifying to have to tear down my walls a little bit because uh, like when we're together it's it's fun there's so much fire but when we're apart all i can think about now is is he okay is he is he fine is he fed right i think that's just the asian mother inside of me that's like are you eating well baby <laughs> so yeah i'm just it's it's scary, Dr. Jess. It's just terrifying. It sounds like that could be a hard transition too from clients to friends to intimate partners lovers, and different yeah. to lovers. Yeah. And I mean, not that you weren't intimate as clients, but uh, I, I would think that would be a different transition than most relationship transitions because right. you had... It's interesting though. I wonder if it's a very good foundation uh, I would think it might be a really good foundation for communication of boundaries, expectations, because in a client relationship, you're quite clear about what one offers and what the other offers and what that exchange looks like, which is a very beautiful thing. It is. It's. It, it was nice to have that specific exchange of like, uh, here are my expectations and this is the time that we're going to spend and then that's it. Because I like I like structure. I like a lot of foundation. I'm not wearing any right now, but... Um. <laughs> dad joke. <laughs> right? Unless dads know what foundation are these days. I don't know. Like, my dad wouldn't know what foundation is. <laughs> what is foundation? The strong underside of the house? Something um. like that. Oh, my God. So, right. so what I was thinking, though, is that you have those skills, those communication skills already in your relationship at the foundation but I'm bum and <laughs> can you parlay those into a conversation or multiple conversations about this new relationship form you're taking right. on I'm going to have to think about that because it's just like the way our our relationship has developed feels it, it, it's not typical right like when do you ever hear about clients and escorts slowly developing into an intimate relationship like this a very uh deep connection we're almost like lovers right and it like we've started calling each other babe mm -hmm. it's it's a little it's a little scary but mm -hmm. also exciting and i guess that's what you were talking about this passion this feeling of passion where it's like 
uh, it's new, it's risky, it's exciting, it's uh, it's everything that you want and more. But it's also, the unknown. Yeah. The oh, unknown is a big part of what drives passionate desire and passionate love, right? If you know everything about someone, that means to, that you know their flaws because we're all human and flawed. But when we don't know something about someone and we like a lot of things about them, we naturally fill in the gaps with idealizations. So we either don't think about (laughs) the things we don't know, or if we do need to think about the things we don't know, it's a subconscious, for many of us, idealization. Now, for other people, we can do the opposite, where we can villainize because we're, you know, fearing something and avoidant of something. But I guess... What you might want to think about if is what are you what are you afraid of? What's the fear here? Like what's- yeah, my fear is that uh, we lose this connection. Um, I actually unpack this in therapy, where I find my sense of self worth through the service of others, through being like a good friend. And if I lose this very deep and intimate connection, I feel like I'm worthless. I feel mm. like I'm I'm a, I'm a shitty person. I know how sad is that. <laughs> Well, I think it's real. And I think you, you also probably considered the flip side, all the things that make you a wonderful person. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Zero. I am garbage. Oh, no. No, no, no. I, I'm pr- actually pretty perfect. Um. <laughs> I, I waver between perfection and self-loathing. Yeah. Are you, do you suffer from high self-esteem? <laughs> I think it's there a great is. thing to suffer from <laughs> for for, met, for people who need it. Like, <laughs> I'm not as toxic as a narcissist, but I am just as uh, self. You know, I, I, I'm just I'm just trash. That's all I am. I'm, I'm garbage. No. I'm 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 the good garbage that you recycle. So I leave less of a carbon footprint than most <laughs> trashy men out there. And we can reuse you. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can put other things inside of you. Oh, my God. One too many times that has happened where <laughs> I've just, I have shoplifted things up my butt. <laughs> oh, um, what have you shoplifted up your butt? Oh, gosh. Um, let's see. I have sh- uh, shoplifted groceries at one point. <laughs> An entire Italian sausage, and that is not a, a double entendre. Oh my gosh! <laughs> this was back in the day. It was a dare. I promise, and it's never going to happen again. I'm sorry to Food Basics. You can live. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but uh, going back to this connection that I have, it's like four years uh, that we've known each other, and we've been working together, slowly developing into this new relationship dynamic. Um, I guess another one of my fears is. Uh, rather than the whole like self-worth thing, it's this loss of passion. I don't want him to lose interest in me. And I was recently listening to, um, I think it was episode 133 of your podcast where you talked about passion and you had the passion interview with uh, Brandon. So uh, you brought up passion perils. What are like some of the things that can threaten a relationship in the realm of passion? Well, boredom, repetition, closeness that is blinding, or I guess, I don't know if I maybe should say the opposite of blinding, but ultimately closeness where you you want to know every little thing about the person. We hear people talk about like, oh, I could finish their sentences and I know everything they're thinking. Uh, and that's okay. I'm not, make, I'm not criticizing those 
as standalone realities. But the more you know about a person, the less exciting they become oftentimes because there's less to discover. And even if they're a very exciting person, we always want a little bit of mystery. And this isn't like going back to the 1950s housewife where she gets up early and puts on her makeup. So, you know, her husband doesn't see her without makeup. It's more about having your own interests, having your own perhaps social circles, your own passions outside of the relationship so that when you come together, you have interesting conversations to uncover. You can approach conversations with curiosity. Uh, You can wonder how they're feeling and that can create excitement. And so when you said to him in the beginning that there's this fine line between positive anxiety and passion, you're absolutely right. Because if I wonder too much, it might, you know, spark some insecurities. It might make me worry. It might lead to obsessive anxiety. But a little bit of wonder, and again, everybody's ideal dose is different, a little bit of wonder is what makes things exciting. And I I think one of the problems we have in relationships is that we take our individual needs and we generalize them to everybody. We say, this is how much space we should have. This is how much time we should spend together. This is how much we should know about each other. No, that's too much time apart. And what we really need to add on to all of those statements is for me. This is too much for me. That's not enough for me. But what happens is when something feels ideal for me, I expect my partner or partners to feel the same way, right? Oh. And so, and we do that, you know, with, with all people in the world as we judge other people's relationships. We say, well, you know, for example, people will say to us, well, you have too much time apart. Like that can't be healthy. Okay, that might not be healthy for you. That may not work for you. But I've got, we've got something that works really, really well. After 20 years, uh, you know, like I'm madly in love. Life is exciting. I feel safe. I feel excited. Like we have our, our lots of things to keep us passionate with one another. I'm not suggesting that it feels like it did on our second date where you walk in and tear one another's clothes off, <laughs> but it's still exciting. There's still new things for us to try after all this time. And so what works for me may not work for you, may not work for your neighbor, may not work for, you know, our aunties. (laughs) Uh, And so when we think about things that can quash passion, the degree to which they quash passion will vary from person to person. Like for me, I'm bored in a hot minute. Like I am bored so quickly. So I need change. And I've, I've, you know, I think most of us, we've been doing more learning about ourselves over the Mm -hmm. last 18 months because, uh, you know, I was flattened at first when I was, you know, we were ordered to stay home and I could no longer do my work and I could no longer travel. Uh, And I didn't realize how much I loved that everyday running and hopping on a plane. And like, you know, yesterday I filmed four episodes of a show in a row. We ended at four. I had to be on a plane at 6.30. I got held in customs for 55 minutes. Oh, shit. Uh, And like, now the customs part didn't feel good. (laughs) But the rest of the day, the stress of that day felt so good for me, but might not feel good for you. Mm-hmm. Right, I can. That kind of- <laughs> sounds terrifying. Like I love traveling, but I hate the airport. I Truly. know. Ugh. I especially hated it yesterday because I don't know my heart. You know, when you're not even doing anything wrong, but your heart is pounding out of your chest. Yes, every day, right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> terrified. I mean, like uh, my heart is pounding because I'm speaking to you because like I'm a big fan, but also my heart is pounding because I'm thinking about this escort right now. I'm thinking mm-hmm. like. 
I'm thinking about how he is. He just told me that he went to the hospital. And I'm like, oh my God, please. Like, I, I just want to see you. I just want to like, you know, take care of you because I need to be with you. And I am kind of aware that that is a little unhealthy to, you know, be to be fixated, to be obsessed with it. But also, I don't want to just disregard that as something that's part of who I am. You know, it's like, I, I guess that is, while that is kind of obsessive and kind of like unhealthy, I also acknowledge that that is a part of me that is a very caretakery kind of identity. And I feel like, you know, that that's good, right? Yes, is he okay? You said he went to the hospital? He's fine. He just got discharged. He's okay. But all I can think of now is I want to be there for you. I want to take mm -hmm. care of you because um, we, we recently said to each other, I love you. And um, I don't know if it's in like a, a boyfriend's type of I love you, but he did say that he has so much love and affection for me. And I mirrored that right back at him i was like i do have all this love and affection for you and i really deeply love you in fact we're going to be spending a weekend at a cabin together in the winter so yeah i know it's sexy right um <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you reignite some of that passion back again but yeah that's like all i can think of it's because it's like i my obsession and my identity as a caretaker i feel like they're they're mixing and mm. it, it, it's very anxiety inducing it's triggering mm. how do i like differentiate the toxic passion and the healthy passion mm. yeah i think i mean you have to trust yourself first off say I'll, I'll say that it sounds like your reaction to his going to the hospital uh, is very normal that's someone you care about okay it's normal because i well, didn't know that it was normal <laughs> i i mean i think so i don't have the whole story i'm getting bits and pieces here but you care for him deeply he cares for you deeply you've expressed that and so when he's not okay it's normal to feel like you're not okay of okay. course right. we have to learn to differentiate our experiences and differentiate emotionally but you know, at the top of everything that matters is your overall well-being and safety. And so if you went to the hospital, obviously something was wrong uh, and you want to be there. And that yeah. you, you keep using the word obsessive. I don't know if it's obsessive uh, because, I'm again, I've just heard a couple of minutes of the story. But being distracted by thoughts, having intrusive thoughts focused on someone you care deeply about, Sounds like just a human experience to me, right? I mean, I, I, if oh. Brandon was in the hospital right now, I probably wouldn't do the interview. Right? Mm -hmm, I wouldn't be mm -hmm. here. I'd probably be checking on him. I know that maybe it's harder for you because your relationship is undefined. Yes. Yes. Because it's like, I don't know where we stand right now. I don't know, like, is this caring too much or is this caring too little? Do you so, want to know where you stand? I do. What do I do? Just ask him. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of evidence that he cares for you too. Um, uh, I mean, and you don't have to say, like, what type of relationship is this or how do we define our relationship? Can you talk about, like, why he likes spending time with you or what this means or even just ask about the transition, like our, you talk about the fact that, you know, our relationship has changed so much over the last three years. How are you feeling about it? 
Okay. I will... Hearing those questions said back to me feel a little uh, triggering, for lack of Mm -hmm. better words, but uh, I'm going to sit with that feeling because I feel like that is necessary. And I feel like that's also necessary in a lot of like relationships that have gone through the long run as well, right? When you're... Uh, I don't know, married for X amount of years and you feel like the passion is dying and all you can think about is your kids. All you can think about is what we're going to do for errands the next day. And is that like something that you, uh, is that something that you considered when you built like your passion interview? Well, we moved right away from you and back over to the passion. Because I don't so want to talk about myself. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to follow your lead. <laughs> not, this is not all about me, Dr. Okay, okay. Even though I'm a narcissist. Even though I'm a narcissist. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I want to say one quick thing. So you said like that question that I gave you is necessary. It's not necessary. You decide what's necessary and what works for you. But if you want to take it back to the passion interview. So, yes. So when I created the passion interview, it was really in response to the fact that so many of us become entrenched in the mundane, right? And we know that the the death of passion in relationships often occurs when conversation becomes reduced to your daily activities, right? So kids and family, work and business, and our schedules. And of course, we have to talk about those things, but it also can feel so good to talk about other things uh, that are deeper, more exciting, more revealing, and allow you to continue learning about one another, And so this could be anything from like your daydreams to your childhood memories. Uh, And so what I did was I created this interview and it really is just a bunch of prompts that you use to shift the conversation away from the mundane into something a little bit more meaningful. So these questions are quite varied uh, and they range from kind of whom do you admire in the world most and why to when was the last time you felt really excited to what is your fondest memory from your entire life to, uh, you know, uh, if you never had to work, how would you spend your ideal day? Um, How do you want to retire? If you could have a drink with anyone in the world, whom would you choose and why? And we've got all of these different questions that you can use kind of one at a time, or you can use them on a date night. Uh, And the idea is just to get talking. And, you know, for most people, one question leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, right? One of these could lead to conversation for days on end. Uh, and in our on our podcast, so my podcast is the Sex with Dr. Just podcast, and my partner Brandon co-hosts it with me. We do this one together live. I actually can't even remember it now, Tim, because and that's <laughs> that's what's so cool though about something a tool like this is that the way we answered these questions, let's say a year or two ago on the podcast, might be entirely different than how we'd answer them today. And so, that's true. yeah, because like you're always keep, changing. Yeah, we can keep learning about ourselves and. To me, it also takes us away from the stressors of the world. Some of the questions, some of them mm. might stress you out more. But, you know, we're always so busy thinking about what's next. Where do I have to be? Whom do I have to see? What are my responsibilities? What do I have to do for work? Whereas if I can just say, okay, if I could have a drink with anyone in the world, whom would I choose and why? It almost sends me into kind of a fantasy land, a, day- a daydream land that a, offers a sense of escapism. Right. It's so sexy because it's like we we are so focused on this aspect of our relationship that we do tend to forget that we're also individuals as well as being a partner. And I feel like it's so, I guess the word I'm looking for is kind of erotic when uh, 
when you ask these kinds of questions, like if you could have a drink with anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be? And you start to see them get lost in this dreamland. And that's where I notice someone being passionate about something because it's like, oh, let me into your head. Is my head any good? Mm, Like, (laughs) it's so... Uh, it's so intimate isn't it yeah that's it and it it takes you back to like that first question around what is passion uh it's care it's like Mm. an intense interest and care yeah it's this feeling of vulnerability this and there's also strength in that kind of vulnerability when you're sharing the space to be when you're sharing a space to vocalize your innermost thoughts and fears and your hopes and your dreams and even your fantasies oh my god absolutely and we have another interview called the intimacy interview which is more focused on like vulnerable feelings and vulnerable reflections i've got all these different prompts that i use use in the retreats and then listen they're not they're not perfect and some people are going to hate some of them but the idea is just to get people talking uh and if if a question makes you uncomfortable talking even about that because you don't have to answer these right like one of them is you know what do you regret most about your 20s uh and then i think i have one right and so maybe you're not ready to answer that and that's a fair response as well Mm -hmm. you can uh, you can ask that question it's like why what's making you so scared of answering that question Oh, mm-hmm. my God. What do you like most about me? And what do you hate about me? <laughs> oh, dear. I don't have that one on there. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Why do you love me more than you love her? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> how often do you think people should be having this passion interview? Uh, whether it be in a first date or, uh, I don't know, a long t- Okay, let's go long-term relationship. Uh, 20 plus years. Should couples be having this passion interview daily, every week? So I don't think you need to do the passion interview over and over again. I think like if you oh, did it okay. once a year, it might be interesting or once every couple of years. But I do hope that every week you're having some meaningful conversation, right? Like I often talk about the relationship check-in. Like what are... What are you feeling this week? What are you most looking forward to? Is there anything that you're struggling with? Uh, How can I support you? What are you most excited for? Um, Just, you know, and you can, I I have a whole podcast on the relationship check-in as well, where I think Brandon and I do the relationship check-in. And we don't prepare for it. We don't edit it. We don't, like, we don't make notes or anything. We're just really having the conversation. And actually, I'll tell you, it's really is really useful for us, right? I'm always going around helping other people with their relationships, and I don't always take the time to do all the exercises, right? Mm. Uh, it, w- it would just be too much to do all of them. So when we sit down and do it over the podcast, it's a nice opportunity for us to just uh, feel connected. And for me personally, it's a nice opportunity to feel a lot safer in my work because Brandon is there. Right, right? Like I, right. I feel very exposed, uh, very vulnerable, very honestly self-conscious in my work, just being in the public eye. You know, you feel a lot of pressure, Um, You piss a lot of people off. People are very free in telling you how much you piss them off or how much they hate you or whatever it may be. And it's, and you know, I've always been a lone wolf. My brand has been me. I've been trying to Mm. move it away from that, but man, rebranding is hard. Um, Girl, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) With Brandon at my side, it gives me the opportunity to be vulnerable, not just with him, because I, I, you know, I really don't have a problem being honest and vulnerable with him, but to be vulnerable with with our audience, with our community. Um, and if it feels good, sometimes I regret it. I'll be honest. Like sometimes I never edit anything out. Like I never say, oh, I wish I didn't say that. And in fact, I don't even listen to them. 
ever. I don't <laughs> listen to the replays. Um, just post and be on with your life. <laughs> yeah, like I just, because it is what it is and it's a moment in time and I'm a human being and sometimes I say things off the cuff that, you know, I might go back and say, you know what, I didn't really mean that or I need to further reflect on that or I was really wrong there. Uh, but it is kind of cool in the safety and presence of Brandon to be able to open up in a way that I never did in, you know, say the first eight or nine years of my career. Oh, mm, so like you just build this relationship together to keep that passion alive for each other. This mystery. There is. Oh, there's lots of mystery. <laughs> and we, there's still. We, have, we both have a lot of passion well, outside of just the relationship, right? We have other yeah. people we love and care for. We have our businesses are very exciting. Um, we have different challenges we face. Um, some of them are together and some of them are separate. So there's always lots to talk about when we come back together. Having said that, we've spent the last 18 months together. Uh, and <laughs> he's been joining me. <laughs> yeah, he's and but I haven't been bored with him because we we don't like talk all day or sit next to each other, right? We mm. were doing our thing, we're working, we come back together. Uh, and since I started traveling again for work, he's been joining me. Like he's here with me in Boston today. He was in England with me um, yeah. a couple of days ago because I like I have all these extra air, airline points I haven't used <laughs> over the, you know, over the pandemic. If he's there right now. Tell him I said hi. I, you know, he had to step out because he also had to take a call. Otherwise, oh. <laughs> I would have I would have had him say hi to you too. I would love for him to join you, and then we can have our own little kiki, the three of us. Um, I'm <laughs> or you can wheel. have him all to yourself. Ooh, hey. <laughs> Hi, Brandon. If you ever hear this episode, mwah. Um, I'll send it to him. I'll send it to him. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so cute. And I just like, I want to wrap this up with just um, like this grand final word of this keeping the mystery alive, keeping the passion alive. Do you have any tips for people who are in the midst of like, the flame is kind of dying down. How do we start to reignite? How do we keep it going in the long term like you and Brandon have done? Yeah, I say, first of all, don't feel badly. Like we, it, it happens to every single person in every single relationship to some degree. Uh, and then secondly, just know that you can actually do things very easily to make things more exciting. So I, I like to begin with the roller coaster rule. And so when we think about roller coasters, what excites us about roller coasters is that they're very, very safe. They're inspected. They're safer than like the 401 or the Gardner Expressway or the <laughs> I-95, wherever y'all are. <laughs> and... So that we know they're safe, but they feel risky. So you're flying through the air at 500 miles an hour. And the reason it's so exciting is that your old reptilian brain believes you're about to die. And so roller coasters off the, offer this balance of very assured safety, but feelings of risk. So what you want to think about, perhaps in your relationship, is how do you build a foundation that is so loving and comforting and respectful and safe? that you can do things that feel risky, but aren't actually risky, right? So we call it feigned risk. So first and foremost, you have to lay the foundation. So I don't want people to take away from this, like, oh, I need to go do something scary, or we need to go put our relationship at risk, or we need to push our boundaries. First and foremost, you need to be in a space where you, where you love, trust, honor, and comfort one another. So first, we have to build that foundation. And let's say that's 80, 90, 95% of the relationship for most people. But then we create this space for risk. So risk might be listening to this podcast and 
talking about your response. Risk might be tuning into a webcam and watching like another couple having sex and maybe interacting with them a little, you know, with the tips and with the chat. Uh, yeah. Risk might be for other people just going and shopping for sex toys. Risk might be going to a sex club and watching real life sex. Risk might be going to a nude beach. Uh, risk might be simply doing something that physically challenges your bodies, like doing a hike that feels challenging, um, taking a workshop that makes you feel uncomfortable. Like maybe you think you're really bad at dancing and you go and take a salsa class. Like risk can be anything and it doesn't have to be sexual. And in fact, you don't want all of your risks to be sexual. Even the passion interview can feel risky, like just breaking with the routine and shaking up the mundane. Mm. So if I ever want to bring up risk with my guy, I'll just be like, hey, do you want to get fisted sometime? Um. Sure. Fisting could be, yeah. And again, fisting is really cool because it's not something you just do, right? Fisting you have to work up to. Like you have to train. You have to take your time. And that can be very exciting. Yeah. You got to buy the Crisco. and the, all the- <laughs> Or just no. a really good silicone-based lube, please. <laughs> What a nice way to plug your Astroglide brand. <laughs> Astroglide Silicone X. <laughs> uh, and speaking of uh, plugs, um, can you please make like a butt and plug away anything that you want the audience to find, Dr. Jess? <laughs> Absolutely. So you can find me on all social media at Sex with Dr. Jess. Listen to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. And in Canada, you can catch me Friday nights at midnight on City TV on my new show, Intimately You. It is a shopping channel show, but on City TV, and we are hawking good vibes. Yum. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Dr. Jess, for coming on my humble little show. You're so sexy, intelligent, amazing. You are everything and more. And to all the listeners that have made it this far, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe there's my patreon on apple Podcasts, on spotify wherever you get your podcast so yeah love you all thank you so much for joining here on sex up with tim and with that i bid you adieu good night and i will see you at the next one bye Thanks for listening to the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. Sex Ed with Tim is created and produced by me, Tim Lagman. Music is Aces High by Kevin McLeod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at GaySlutClown and at Sex Ed with Tim. You can also like and follow me on the Sex Ed with Tim Facebook page. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even better, you can also support the show on Patreon, where you can get early access to ad-free episodes and more. Thanks for all your support, you dirty little slut. Mwah.